Welcome to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. I hope everybody's having a wonderful Tuesday. My name is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Now, this is our fourth show of 2020, and the response so far has, has been tremendous. I appreciate your support. Keep listening and tell all your friends. Now, since we started this show in July, this past July, people often ask me, they say, Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? And this is what I tell people every week. A life-altering event can be something we either choose or it is something that is thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. Now, what's this mean? Well, life-altering events present us with an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference in our own life and in the lives of our loved ones. They're also a fork in the road where we have a choice. Now we can choose to fall apart or we can choose to find the courage, pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward toward better times and better people. Please remember this. It is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. As you listen to this show over the coming weeks and months and and hopefully years, I encourage you to participate in an upcoming episode. If you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, visit the life-altering event page at thevoiceofamerica.com, click on email the host, and tell me about this event that so dramatically and drastically changed your life, how you addressed it, where you are now, and how it's impacted your life. We will review it for content, and if it fits well into the program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, we now have 23,000 listeners in 16 countries. Let me share your story with the world. Today's life-altering event is life's final journey. We all learned at a very, very early age that there are two things in life that are absolutely certain, death and taxes. Yet we're apprehensive and we often fear both, which leads to the question why. We both know, or we all know, both are going to happen. Taxes is an easier one to understand. We know taxes will be taken out of our paychecks and whenever we buy just about anything. We even know the day that our taxes are due. Everyone hates paying taxes, yet intelligent people understand why they're necessary, so we prepare for the tax season throughout the year. Death is a different story. Death, however, is full of unknowns. We don't know when or how or where. What we do know is it's going to happen. Yet far too many people procrastinate preparing for death. One of the best explanations of this this apprehension and fear I ever read 
as the introduction in the book, Dying Made Easy, and then there's a parenthesis in, in letters E-R, Dying Made Easy-er, Creating Your Happy Ending. This is by my next guest, Myra Bennett. This is what Myra wrote. As much as we know at the intellectual level that dying is part of life, the thought of our own death or the death of someone near or dear to us fills us with many strong emotions, the biggest one being fear. We all know fear can be paralyzing. Fear prevents us from doing the work we should, that we know should be done. Our perception of dying, sometimes colored by experiences we've had or by lack of experiences, is that it is tragic at best and terrifying at worst. I know that this is not a pleasant topic of conversation, but there are ways to reduce or eliminate the fear and properly prepare for the inevitable. My guest, Myra Bennett, is going to share this with us today. Let me tell you a little bit about Myra. She's been a nurse for her entire professional life. Her first husband died after a long, painful battle with a terminal illness. Many years later, her fiancé died suddenly from a massive heart attack. Now, with these, while these life-altering events caused many people to fall apart, they motivated Myra to become more involved with helping families prepare for and take away the fear and uncertainty surrounding death. She's written the book, Dying Made Easy, Create Your Happy Ending, and started a company called Compassionate Crossings. So, Myra Bennett, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you so much, Frank. I'm so happy to be here. Myra, as we've been talking and I've been reading your book, uh, you were a certified end-of-life guide. It's also called an end-of-life doula. Explain what this is to our listeners. Yes, well, I would love to. And let me say that the name of this program today is so perfect life's final journey, because, you know, we think of dying and death as being something different or opposite of life, and in reality, dying is living. It's it's what we call life to that last breath, so it's such a good, good name for this program today. But let me answer your question, what is an end-of-life doula? So this is a relatively new field, and by that I mean about a decade old. Uh, and it was, it began, its beginnings were because of an awareness that the experience that the person who's dying and the loved ones that are accompanying that person was not, it was not complete, and there was a lack of, um, services that would support and guide and comfort everyone involved. So some of us, uh, there were some pioneers in the early days that really opened the doors, and there are more now wanting to get involved in being that help and support to the family. But essentially, an end-of-life doula is a person who sees dying as a life event, and approaches it from a holistic point of view. So 
that means that person sees the event as happening to everyone involved, not just that dying person, but everyone that's accompanying that person on that journey that we speak of. And so we look at how we can support everyone and address their needs, their physical, their emotional, their mental, their spiritual needs. And we are in tune with what is going on in that home, in that environment, and helping that. I often say that that in a nutshell, what we do is we help the dying person die better and we help the family cope better with this natural, normal part of life, but a part of life that is very, very challenging to all of us. Now, Myra, I've heard you say fear and apprehension often stems from a lack of knowledge. Now, what are some of the options and the choices most people don't know or or don't understand? Yes, I think most people do not understand because in our society, we, um, fortunately, most of us do not experience death and dying often in our life. And there are so many of us that have not been there. And so when, when it hits us, <clears throat> and you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, death and dying will hit us. It will affect our life. We are, we are going to be, many of us are going to be like the proverbial deer in the headlights. We're not going to know how to begin or what, what to do and what are our choices and what decisions need to be made. And that's where an end-of-life doula comes in. Um, so we, what we do is we help the person understand that they are at choice as far as where they would choose to I call exit this life. So when a person is born, there are those that make a decision about where that person will enter life. So too, can we make a choice about where we would like to be when we transition, when we pass from this life experience? And so we can decide, do we want to be home? Do we want, and at end of life, as many of us know, It usually entails a a bed. The person's not able to get around. They're, you know, in their bed at that point. So where would you like the bed to be? So you can actually create what I call in the book a dying place, and it can be meaningful to you, and it can be meaningful to everyone around you. There's also uh, options for, I know in California we have the End of Life Option Act that went into effect in 2015. Many people don't understand that law, so um, it's good to know about it in case that's something that you might want to choose for yourself. There's um, something called conscious sedation, and that's when... The dying experience is unpleasant or um, for many people who have anxiety disorders, end of life can create new challenges. And so uh, conscious sedation is just using medication to help so that the person isn't in that heightened state of anxiety. 
something that's not spoken of very often. There's also, uh, they, they refer to this as V-SED, so it's V-S-E-D, voluntary stopping eating and drinking. And there are people who would want to make that choice. And these choices are not for everyone. But it's good to know what the choices are so then we can decide. And then as far as choices are concerned, the best way we can make choices about our own end of life is to do so ahead of time. And so I always encourage people to create what's called an advanced healthcare directive. And that way we can just get as detailed as we want. Do, do we want to die at home? Uh, do we want certain measures or treatments such as what's called artificial nutrition and hydration? So that's an, that's an IV. We understand that to be an IV. A nasogastric tube can be placed where we can get what is similar to a, a, maybe a baby formula that goes into our stomach and then keeps us alive. Would we want that? And if we would, what circumstances would we want that? You know, so it, it allows us to have a voice ahead of time and allows us to um, assign someone that would be our voice should we not be able to speak. So what I recommend people to do is to have a, a will and a trust ready and see their attorney. And Chapter 1 of the book goes into quite a lot of detail about that. And then as far as the advanced health care directive is concerned, either select someone in the community that can help with that, and the best person, of course, is going to be the end-of-life doula because he or she is an expert in that field, or... Uh, to do it themselves, and there's some tools uh, on online these days. Uh, my favorite organization is Compassion and Choices because they have uh, worksheets and, and tools to use to um, educate the person about what those choices might be in order for them to make a thorough advanced healthcare directive. Um, and then also there's an organization, and I think uh, we spoke Frank, and I think you're going to place that on the site for people to reference, but this one is the National End of Life Doula Alliance, um, and they have a network of professionals, so you can go on and you can click on to your state, your location, and see if there's a end of life doula in your area. Now, as far as creating advanced healthcare directive, that's not, it's not necessary to have the end-of-life doula present. I mean, that can be done online with the assistance of that person or by phone or those sort of things, but it might be a good idea to go onto that website and see about getting some help in creating that advanced health care directive. So, yes, so that's it. One of the things that I, that I read in your book, was I think it's called a, a P-O-L-S-T, a pulse. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, you are. Um, explain that. Yes. So um, there's a pulse, as you um, referred to. They're different from state to state. Um, so, you know, you'd want to check. And where you would get that form is from your doctor. Um, there are two... Two kinds of us people who would benefit from that pulsed form. Uh, one is 
an elderly person who is frail of health. So we're talking, you know, advanced age, even if they don't suffer from heart disease or something that can be identified, just the fact that they're up in age means that they're much more frail than they were in their youth. And there's some uncertainty about, you know, when when end of life may appear for them. So good to have that in place. And then, of course, the post form is for the person that feels sure that they are nearing their end of life. And so that would be maybe somebody who's already getting hospice services, as an example. So what the form is has been created for is to allow the person to make a decision about um, medical care at end of life. And so what I mean by that is, would you want CPR? Would you want um, to be resuscitated um, given that you are on hospice now or given that you are quite elderly and frail of health? Um, So that would be, now that Medicare is paying for um, the actual conversation that a person would have about a pulsed form, it's an end-of-life care conversation that the person would have with their doctor. The doctor has the form. The person can take it home, read it over, give some reflection, make some decisions, bring it back, and the doctor signs it, and then it becomes official. That That is uh, uh, such an important component. Now, we're just about up against a break here, and I don't want to get into more depth on that before we hit the break. So let's break now. Um, we're going to be right back with Myra Bennett, and we're going to continue this talk about life's final journey. Don't go away. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. 
Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to LifeAlteringEventsRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. We are on the air here with Myra Bennett, who is an end-of-life guide or uh, another term called an end-of-life doula. Now, just before the break, Myra was explaining the various options that a family has or the dying individual has uh, to, to prepare to make this less of a traumatic issue. And she talked about wills and trusts and pulse and various uh, documents like that. Now, January 7th, three weeks ago, my father died, and it was unexpected, but he had all these things in place. So while it was a shock that he died, we knew what he wanted, and we could start the process and not have to go digging for things and, and all the confusion along with the grief you also can't, you don't know what to do. So comment on that, Myra. Yeah, so, you know, when, when a beloved has died, it feels like our plate is so full. And a big part of that fullness is the emotions that we're going through. Uh, it's, it's profound. And so if we are spared the, the exhaustive work necessary to make decisions about uh, what I call afterlife services, um, the common word is funeral, um, or trying to make sure that the estate is taken care of and those sort of that detailed, busy work. Um, we are trying to recover from a very difficult event in our life. And so the more these tasks can be prepared for ahead of time, the better. And I often say that a beautiful final parting gift that we can leave for our loved ones is to do this work for them. And it's not difficult to do. It's an easy enough thing to uh, see an attorney because they do most of the work as far as a will and a trust is concerned. Um, not everyone needs a trust, and I say that in the book. You know, you'll need to look at your financial situation and such, but a will is good for everyone. And an advanced health care directive is good for anyone that's 18 years or older. And I say that because you're considered an adult. So the, those that would give you care if you are at end of life at a youthful age, and it does happen. We don't think about it much, but it does happen to have that in place so that our parents, if we're a young person, uh, is trying to make decisions for us because 
there's choices about, and we mentioned some of them, there's choices about care at end of life, and it's better that we make those decisions. An example would be um, if a person sustained a horrible accident and they were um, in a coma, for example. If you can make that decision about if you would like to continue to live without... um, without medical care, how long would you like to continue to live to give yourself a chance to recover from this condition? Under what situations would you like that to continue? And you're making those decisions because it's so hard to make those decisions for someone else. So I call that love. When you do that for your loved ones ahead of time, I call that love. And that, that is an absolutely true statement. It was, it was very difficult, but at least we knew what he wanted and what to do. And we could go forward and, and uh, settle things as quickly as we could. Now, Myra, you often speak about moving from the initial reaction of a terminal diagnosis to developing the coping skills for the individual and the family. Now, how do you and your role help with that? Yeah, so teaching coping skills is so important, um, especially since many of us, we don't have experience in this, in this chapter of our life. And I, I speak from, not only from the person who is passing from this life, but everyone involved, as I said. So, you know, we humans from the time we're toddlers until our last breath, we want to feel felt. We want to believe that what is important to us is important to others around us. And so I focus on, when I'm teaching coping skills, I focus on what are the emotions, what are the challenges and the concerns that everyone's having, and we, we bring it out. We, we open up the conversations. We, we talk about... Um, if invited, and I have to say, the dying person usually is the one that makes that invitation. You know, so many times I work with families, and they are um, afraid. They're afraid to speak about the obvious thing that's happening. They're afraid to address that elephant in the room. And they will not, oftentimes, even though their heart yearns to, they will not until that dying person makes that invitation. So sometimes it's hard for that person to do that because they are also protecting their loved ones. They know that it's difficult for their loved ones to be going through this. And so they're trying to protect them, and so they don't want to bring it up. So what I do as an end-of-life guide is I make a subtle invitation and then if, if that's something that feels good to that dying person, they can then open it up and they can allow for everyone to discuss and what's going on, discuss what's going on, and discuss how they're responding emotionally, emotionally to what is going on. So basically, you know, what we talk about is, you know, if death is unavoidable, and in these circumstances it, it is, then let's talk about how we can do it the best way, the most intentional way that we can do it 
addressing everyone's needs uh, during the process. Myra, most people have heard of hospice. My mother was in hospice over well over a decade ago when she died. But very few people understand what it really is or what it does. So could you explain, what is hospice? You know, you're right. Hospice has uh, been around for, hmm, I'm, I'm saying maybe four decades now, um, the way that it's practiced here in the United States. Even so, most of us have a, only a basic understanding of hospice, and sometimes what we think we understand actually turns out not to be the case. So it's misunderstood. But basically what hospice is, it's a medical model. Uh, it was under President uh, Bill Clinton's term that it became a covered benefit under Medicare. So it, it is looking at death and dying from the medical approach, uh, the person is eligible for the surface, service if they have a terminal diagnosis that is confirmed by two doctors, and it is believed that the person will transition from life within six months. So that's the requirement for the eligibility, and then once the person's placed on hospice services, it's a, in a interdisciplinary team that they are assigned to. And on that team, there's a doctor, there's a case manager who's usually a nurse, there's a social worker, there is a hospice home health aide. That person will usually come out and help with things like bathing and those sort of things once, twice a week, something like that. Um, the case manager will come out on a regular basis depending on the situation and how far advanced the person is in their uh, diagnosis. Uh, there's also clergy available. Social worker comes out when needed, but usually not on a regular basis. And then there's a volunteer if the family wants to volunteer. And there's a bereavement person of some sort, usually in hospice, that's available um, before the person passes, but certainly after, and that usually follows the family at least a year after the person has died. Now, where the where the confusion is about hospice is, is a lot of people feel that hospice is there in the home whenever you need them, um, and hospice would absolutely love to do that, but there's constraints, and they're not able to be there at any time that the family needs them there. Um, they're available 24-7 by phone, of course, and if they need to come out because of a medical situation that's going on, they certainly can. But most people think that hospice, the the staff's just there a lot, and and that's really not the case. Uh, The other misconception is they feel that hospice will be there when their beloved uh, passes, and that hardly ever happens. It's just... It's not, well, basically, dying is not a medical condition. It's a normal event of life. And so when a person is dying, there's not a medical need, usually, with few exceptions. And so there's, there's the hospice feels that there's not a need for them to be there. So they teach the family 
They teach them about the dying process. They teach them how to give care. They also are not there to be the routine caregiver for the dying person. So that's a responsibility of the family. So they teach them how to care for their loved one. Um, but if they need additional care, then that is an out-of-pocket, um, like a hired caregiver that would come in and help the family with that. So um, did, did I do a good job explaining that, Frank? Yes, it, it, was, it, was, um, it, was, it was clear there's still... What I, what we found, what we discovered uh, with my mother was most of the time you don't want to think about it until you have to think about it, and then you're you're learning by fire hose. So having mm. you explain that in advance, and and ladies and gentlemen, get this book, get her book, and read this because they, it'll give you guidelines and steps of what to do while before you get to that emotional state and that emotional crisis. And it, it was it was so important, and you explained it extremely well. Thank you very much. Mm, thank you. One of the things that intrigued me in your book, you talk about Western medicine, and Western medicine offers pharmacology, which is drugs, radiation, and surgery to treat most most life threatening conditions. And the goal, as it appears in Western medicine, is to treat, not to prevent. Yet there are alternative methods, and you talk about some of these in your books. What are some of these method, methods, and, and why aren't people using them? It's mm-hmm. a great question. Um, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. Um, not, not saying, not, not judging that, just identifying that we do live in a capitalistic society. And decisions that are made often are made from that perspective. We don't like to think about medical care um, having that consciousness of profit, but it is. I mean, we, this is Western medicine. This is the model for it, that everything, <laughs> it sounds so negative. Everything goes back to that bottom line. You know, so where is the most profit in anything in in a capitalistic society and in medical care? So treatment is very, very profitable in this country. So that's where the highlight is. That's where that's that's where the beam is placed. The beam of light is on on treatment, and this is what we hear about the most. This is what is in our awareness. And it's intentionally so. But before we even get to what are some of the alternatives to treatments for these life-threatening conditions such as cancer, heart disease, etc., it serves us well to look at how we can prevent ever being in a situation where we would need to make a decision about radiology or pharmacology, you know, those sort of decisions. Now, is, is it exact? If we do A, B, C, D, then we're going to live to 100 in good health? No. I mean, life has offers us none of those certainties. But we do have a lot more power than most of us realize. And so prevention starts today. 
prevention starts with what can we do to honor our vehicle in this life, our human form. How can we honor that by giving it nutrition, by keeping all of our parts in motion? Uh, what decisions can we make to keep the wellness? Because, you know, scientists say that most of us will grow a couple of um, cancer cells in our body at some point in our life. But those of us who get the diagnosis and those of us who do, do not, there lies the difference. And many of us can keep our form, our human form, in optimal wellness, and it does the job for us. So we then know we don't find ourselves in the position of needing that surgeon's help in the future. But going back to your question about what can we do besides or in addition to what our physician is recommending for our condition, there we've probably all heard of alternative treatment. The other term is complementary treatment, and that just simply means that we're doing additional things for our condition beyond what our medical doctor has us, uh, our treatment plan uh, for. So we're adding things like maybe nutrition or supplements or those sort of things, but if we decide to say no to the surgeon, say no to the pharmacology or radiology options, and we choose alternative. Again, alternative, and, and it, the book goes into it somewhat. There's so much to it. So, you know, I would always say that if you have a terminal diagnosis, be your best uh, steward. You know, do your, your all your research yourself. But... Um, Look at what you can do, essentially. Alternative medicine is, what can you do to create a level of wellness and strength for your body to do what it has already been designed to do, and that is to take care of this problem that it has encountered. So just as an example, one of the the treatments that is offered for alternative uh, for cancer is a very high dose of vitamin C uh, in an IV. So that's just one option. But like I said, you know, if, if the doctor tells me I have a terminal condition, I'm going to be an expert on that condition and I'm going to be an expert on um, treatment options. And that is so important that people understand you have a say in this. It, it, it's not dictated to you that this is the only alternative. You can make a choice. Now, we're up against another break here, so let's. Um, we'll be back. This last segment you do not want to miss. This is going to be the best one yet. Myra's going to get into some other points that have just you need to know. Stay with us. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. 
Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Sakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are having an absolutely intriguing and a, a, a conversation that you just cannot miss with Myra Bennett, who is an end-of-life guide, or another term is an end-of-life doula. Uh, death is part of life. It's the, it's, the final, it's the final journey, and she has given us a ton of information on how to make that process as painless as possible as we move forward uh, after our loved one passes. Myra, one of the things you talk about in the book quite a bit is active dying. What is active dying, and what's the importance of, the, of, of your role in that? Mm, yes. You know, when, we, when our loved one is dying, we, we've, we know about the diagnosis. Um, you know, oftentimes it's, it's some months ahead of when our loved one will actually pass. Uh, we we start to see some some changes. We're noticing that maybe our loved one isn't as engaged. Um, maybe our loved one always watched 6 p.m. news and doesn't turn the TV on now and these sort of little subtle changes. But as time passes, there becomes this... Uh, it's like something has changed and now we're into another chapter we've we've turned a corner here and everyone present can see some signs that things are changing and when that what hospice refers to as active dying uh, sometimes you'll hear uh, 
the person is imminent. Um, it's it's when changes really start speeding up because now the, the body is preparing for this this final you know part of life as they're transitioning, and so I always. I always think of the human body as almost like a universe of itself. And, and in this universe are these systems, you know, galaxies, whatever word you would choose to use. But these systems have purposes. So there's the respiratory system and the neurological system and, the, you know, the cardiology system. And so what happens is there, there's this magic moment when the body has a consciousness that it is um, what I call shutting down, and there will be like a system that will begin the process. And so we will see, as observers, we will see maybe a change in vital signs. You know, maybe the blood pressure will decline, or our beloved is not urinating suddenly, or not urinating very much, or not eating any any uh, food. And so we'll, we'll see a sign um, from a particular system and then we'll see another, um, doesn't seem related, symptom. And it's because we're seeing these systems uh, doing their, their, their thing. They're, they're shutting down. Uh, so the person is, like, like uh, I say in the book, actively dying. One thing I want to bring up while we're discussing this, though, because it's such a challenge for the people who are accompanying that dying person, one of the ways we express love in life is we feed. You know, if you ever think about when you go to your your aunt's house or Thanksgiving or, you know, there's so many times when we can... We can join love and food, you know. So, exactly. So we want that, even at the end. We want to be able to express our love by tending to the needs of our loved one, and one of the ways is to to feed them, offer them nourishment. But if we can imagine that our GI system has started its shutdown mode, so what food and and hydration is for is to maintain wellness in life. We no longer need that. We are on a different mission. We are attempting to transition from this life. So food and drink are not only not wanted or desired, it's not necessary. And even more, those expressions of love that we were able to have prior to the time when the person begins actively dying will now cause problems. So you can imagine a person who's not equipped to tolerate food and water because the system's shutting down. It's going to cause discomfort, not comfort. So there comes a time when we have to let go of that expression of love and find other ways. And that's one of the things I help my families with is how else can I express love um, besides besides food? Besides what we would normally consider. Now, Myra, I was a medic, military medic at the end of the Vietnam War, and I, I saw a number of people die, some violently and tragically and some from disease. 
And one of the terms as a medic that I heard uh, doctors saying is the patient is withdrawing from life. And I saw this term again in your book. Is this, is this part of the act of dying? It is. It's, it is the final uh, moments of life, um, as you saw as a medic. So it's, it's almost as if, it, it, it really looks this way. It looks as if when you look at your beloved that you're actually seeing those lights going out. You know, they are, they are checking out of this experience that they, they call their life experience. We, we all call our life experience. They are checking out of that and checking into whatever is next. But yes, yes, it's almost as if you can, you know, I think of the, the Titanic movie, you know, when, what was the character's name, Jack? And, Jack and he and Rose. released, yes, he released from the raft that uh, he had been holding onto and the camera showed him drifting down. It's, it's similar, that look that you see when you can see that person is actually checking out of this life experience. It's a, it's a sacred moment. Survivors, particularly the primary um, caregiver, all go through a range of emotion, which leaves them with a great deal of guilt. Now, in your in your, the role you have, how do you help this survivor cope with sometimes this overwhelming guilt? Mm-hmm. It is. It's so common. Such a common reaction. You know, as humans, we would all do well if we could manage the emotion of fear and the emotion of guilt. You know, uh, Maya Angelou uh, has a saying that I often quote. She said that all of us are doing the very best that we can at this moment with the knowledge that we have. We are all doing the very best. And any of us can look back. Oh, my gosh. I can look back at my early adult years and some of the decisions I made, some of the choices I made, and I just I scratch my head. But it was because I was using a certain amount of knowledge and understanding. And now today that knowledge and understanding is broader. So I wouldn't make that same choice that I made then. But here's the thing, and this is, this is what I'm hoping that our listeners will really understand. Whatever it is that happens at the end of our beloved's life, it's not about the actions. It's not about the outcome. It's about the intention. So five, ten years from when our loved one has left us, we can look back. We can remember our intention was from our heart, and we were doing the very best that we could. That's a, that's a wonderful point. Now, Myra, we got about three minutes ago here. Uh, you had told me about a story that, uh, that you shared. Why don't we, we share that story again? Mm, I would love to. I recently wrote this very short little story, and the title of it is The Leaf. 
and here's how it goes. There once was a beautiful leaf. She lived among her leaf sisters and brothers on an amazing tree that provided all needs for her children. This leaf basked in the sunshine and was bathed by the breeze until one day the tree let her go. She drifted gently to the ground that, with time, became her new home. As she lay on the soil, she began to recreate and become one with the soil. And with time, the fertilized soil nourished a seed, and this seed sprouted and made its way to the sun, where it then became a plant. Along came a deer, who then took nourishment from the plant. Where's the leaf? Was there a poof? And she no longer was on the planet? Does she no longer live? Or is she simply recreated? According to quantum physics, everything on the planet at the subatomic level is vibrational energy. Everything. I call that energy life. Therefore, Death is not even a possibility. All life can only recreate. So the question I leave is this. Why are we afraid of something that is not real? And is there room for us to consider that after this life experience, that part of us that we call soul will also go on to recreate? I ask you to stay open to this and to the multitude of possibilities and simply say, maybe. Because in that magical word, maybe, there is hope to conquer fear. And when fear no longer has a hold on us, we can die and live with intention. That is uh, in a very moving uh, story, very moving uh statement. We are just about out of time uh, for this show. It went way too fast. Myra, thank you so much for being here and for all the input that you've given us on something that's going to happen and that we need to be prepared for. Again, thank you so much. Mm, It was an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, as I mentioned, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time. I thank Myra one more time for this inspiring story. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what life throws at you, I want you to do three things. Look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward, and better times and better people will enter your life. If you'd like more information about Myra Bennett, please email the host at Life Altering Events on the voiceamerica.com page. We're going to post some, some sites Later today, when when the when this talk this show goes on demand, that you can click on and get more information. If you missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can pick them up on demand at any number of places now, including iHeartRadio, Google, and Alexa. So there's all kinds of places to hear this show. Ladies and gentlemen, let me leave you with this: None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Myra Bennett showed us where a lot of those rocks are. Join us next week when we investigate another life-altering event. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.